0: everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW show where we hit on all the latest and greatest news of the week, the biggest stories. As always, there is a lot to talk about. The biggest story this week, of course, was Bayern Munich's Champions League group stage draw, which we will touch on. Uh, And I have to say, if you wanted intrigue, if you wanted fun – you will absolutely get it with Bayern Munich's Champions League draw. So that's where we'll start off. But I should mention first, uh, we do have our draw reaction show up with I Need No Name and Schnitzel, and they did a great job of really diving into it and breaking it down. I'm not going to go as in-depth. I just want to give you some quick thoughts on on what I saw break down, what this could look like, and how fun this will be. But I don't want to steal much of their thunder as they uh, – Really did a nice job in recapping it and giving their thoughts. Uh, So we will start right there with the five things we learned this week. And of course, one of them is that Bayern Munich's Champions League draw is pretty tough. FC Barcelona, Inter Milan, Victoria Pilsen. So we obviously don't know a ton about Pilsen. And that's okay because they uh, were in the last pot. They obviously are a good team, but they are not at the level of, say, Bayern Munich. So I don't want to say they're a pushover because I don't think they will be. I do think of the three other teams aside of Bayern Munich, they will probably be the least uh, talented, uh, have the least amount of depth, probably be the slowest team. So either way, I think when you look at it, Bayern Munich's going to have to avoid, when they play Pilsen, letting down. And I know that sounds weird because this is Bayern Munich, and they typically, in a Champions League setting, do not have a letdown. But when you have the likes of FC Barcelona and Inter Milan also in the group, you cannot, you absolutely cannot afford to look past anyone. So Pilsen will be that club that could give Barca or Inter or Bayern some trouble if anyone looks past them so uh, while they are clearly the fourth team in this group uh, I do think they could make life hell for someone especially if they employ some tactics which try and slow the game down if they try and clog up the middle and hey anything can happen when a team is successful doing that so Inter Milan is another interesting matchup. It has been a while since Byron hooked up with Inter. Uh, Inter certainly has some intriguing talent. And I think when you look at a team that could surprise you in a match uh, when with Inter, you have Romelo Lukaku, among other players who I think capture enough offensive talent that they could totally be a squad that gives Byron problems. And I think that When you look at Bayern right now and how well they're playing, they haven't been tested yet by someone who wants to try and go punch for punch with them and who actually has the talent to do that. Even Arbe Leipzig, who I think is a very talented club, avoided that in the DFL Super Cup. They did not want to try and just throw haymakers at Bayern Munich and hope for the best. Uh, they were a little hesitant, a little reluctant. I don't think we're going to see that with Inter Milan, because I don't think they're going to be able to afford to play that way. And with the talent base that they have, and obviously in playing in Syria A, where things can get a little rough, things can get a little dirty, uh, they'll be well versed in maybe how to slow down that Byron attack as well. I do like the talent base they have at Inter. I do think that they are a winning team in terms of mentality. So it will not be easy when Bayern Munich has to travel to Italy. It will not be easy when Inter has to travel to the Allianz Arena either. Uh, Inter was one of those teams that I had kind of identified from that third pot that uh, they could be a problem. Uh, And if you read the little uh, piece that I put together with the Easiest, hardest, most fun, and nerve-wracking draws. I think Inter was involved in mostly all of them because, um, except easiest, because they are they were, the, in my opinion, the best team from that pot, or at least the one that would give Bayern Munich the most trouble. So, two very intriguing matchups so far. When you look at Inter Milan and Victoria Pilsen uh, for different reasons, uh, but the big one, the marquee matchup, and you all knew this was going to happen: Bayern Munich FC Barcelona. It is the Robert Lewandowski derby, all right? So Lewandowski leaving Bayern this summer for Barca. When that happened, this was this matchup was almost destiny. I mean, you could feel it coming. I, I know that I picked it as the most fun matchup in the post that I did. Barca was certainly part of that with Inter Milan, so it was kind of funny how that worked out for once. Uh, I, I, Of course, I had Rangers FC instead of Victoria Pilsen, because of the Malik Tillman connection. But hey, three out of four not bad, right? Anyway, um, it, when you look at this Barca matchup, Barca, in my mind, is not yet equipped to take on a team like Bayern Munich over the course of two games. And uh, not it's not that they don't have the talent base to do it. It's just I don't think they've had enough time together. Barca is very intriguing for a lot of reasons. You've got that young core of players uh, led by Gavi and 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 some of those youngsters, you've got Lewandowski obviously coming in and and taking charge of the offense. You've got a defense that is working in some new faces. So all of this is going to take time to gel. Will it happen before the the Champions League kicks off? I don't know. I think Bayern Munich would still be heavy favorites against Barca, both home and away. But the talent that is there with Barca certainly has the ability to give Byron hell. And Lewandowski will be extremely motivated. Now, we know that Lewandowski has already said that he, you know, didn't really want to face Byron yet because, you know, he's got friends there. It's awkward. It's his old team. And generally, you would just like to avoid that for at least a little while, for as long as you can. Um, We know that Joshua Kimmich uh, could understand why Lewandowski wanted to avoid seeing Byron as we saw in a post on BFW this week and Kimmich you know basically said that Byron looks so good right now of course he wants to avoid them so uh, there that whole subplot will it will rule the day as the matches against Barcelona uh, as we get closer to those so I don't anticipate that that Robert Lewandowski is going to be the type of player that's going to say anything inflammatory. I don't think Barca is the type of club that's going to run their mouths. In fact, I you know too often I think we've seen in recent years against Bayern we've seen clubs I don't want to say talk trash but almost um really just come into the Allianz Arena or come into matches against Bayern with an aura of false confidence. And some of them have learned the hard way that that's something you shouldn't do. And then some of them like PSG, it works out for them for one reason or another. So uh, this in my mind was just about as fun a group as you could draw. It will be tough. And while Byron is the favorite, there is a distinct possibility that they could pick up one or two losses along the way. I don't think they're in any risk of not qualifying for the next round. I don't think, say, Inter and Barca will be able to to both leap over Bayern. But there could be some intriguing games. There could be some very tough games. Uh, For as good as Bayern Munich looks right now, they have not been punched in the mouth. And you don't know a lot about a team until they get hit. How do they respond? Will they get right back up? Are they going to be dazed for a little bit? Will they lose their confidence? Uh, This should be a good test for that. I mean, in fact, I mean, if we look at who Bayern has played so far, Wolfsburg was probably the closest game, but it really wasn't even that close. And they did play more of a dirtier style in terms of clutching and grabbing and pulling and trying to to slow down Bayern. When we look back at that RB Leipzig game, initially Leipzig just looked a little shell-shocked. They looked a little stunned, like they didn't know what they were competing against. But once they got their bearings, they were able to compete a little bit better. But still, there has not been anyone that has really mounted this stiff challenge to Bayern Munich. I think we might see that in this Champions League group. Of course, if things keep going the way they are, maybe Julian Nagelsmann's boys will just keep ripping and roaring right through everyone. So that will it will be absolutely a phenomenal watch. Those should be six excellent games. The atmosphere in each stadium should really be great. And I think that's one of the things that makes the Champions League so good. When you get three clubs like this, we should have a, a fun crowd environment, a fun stadium environment for these matches. And I think while you probably could have uh, worked at, worked it out a little bit better with, say, Rangers or Celtic or someone like that, um, you know, Victoria Pilsen's not so bad in terms of uh, being able to get their crowd involved. So I think this will be fun. It will be very telling for Bayern Munich and what we can expect to see from them the rest of the season when they get challenged. The second thing we learned this week is that there are still a lot of transfer comings and goings when it comes to youth players who are either with Bayern Munich or who were at one time linked to Bayern Munich. So we're just going to cover a couple of those. Adrian Fine, of course, Uh, He will be moving on to Excelsior Rotterdam. In fact, he already did move on, so I should have rephrased that. But fine, uh, just didn't work out at Bayern Munich, went on a series of loans. As a midfielder, he was never going to come in and usurp any playing time. He was a player who I think uh, at a younger age looked like he had the potential to be something, but then did not really... Uh, evolve with the game has did not really get that much better and the fact that he kept going on loans and kept really getting the same results uh, tells you that he needs some work that he's going to need to put in some time to get to the level that he needs to be to play at a club like Bayern Munich or even someone smaller he just needs to get better and I think that this move which was kind of weird because it was a Byron let fine go for free, but did put on tack on a nice sell on clause for him. Uh, It was one of those things Byron did just to get his salary off the book. So I think fine is going to have to really find himself in the Netherlands. And hopefully he can get his act together, get back on course, because he does look like one of those players that just might have peaked a little too early in his career. So good luck to him. And we'll see what happens. Of course, we'll be following from afar. Uh, Joshua Xerxy, we have seen just about everything with him. Uh, everyone seems to be involved. Club Bruges, Anderlecht. Uh, we have seen VfB Stuttgart. But the one that has emerged as the favorite is Bologna right now. Uh, they look like they are going to be able to offer at least close to what Bayern Munich wants. Of course, just based on how everything else has went with this offseason and the transfers out that Bayern has had. I would guess there'll be a hefty sell-on fee for Xerxe if Bayern is able to unload him before the transfer window ends. And it does look like that's going to happen. I, I do feel as though Bayern is ready to let him go. I think the player is absolutely ready to move on. I don't think there's any future for Xerxy here. And as much as I think he looked like he had a lot of potential at one time, he plateaued a bit when it comes to Bayern Munich. Now, whether he can succeed Somewhere else, I, I think he has that possibility. He did really well at Anderlecht last year. I think that once he got through those confidence issues, once he got over the injury that he had when he was uh, on loan in Italy previously, I think that once he's gotten past all that, he's really been able to start focusing on his game again. Start, you know, He has been able to start really getting everything together and becoming that kind of player that he needs to be to compete at the top level, and I think that this next move for him will really be telling and allowing just fans and, and football executives to see if he is the type of player that can lead a team, that can be a singular nine, a focal point, a target man, and and be one that can help a club play at a Champions League level. So he obviously, no matter where he goes, that will be the focus. But if he does end up in Bologna, I think that would be a a really good move for him, a good step. And uh, hopefully he's able to stay healthy, get some playing time, and continue to improve. Uh, Finally, in this little transfer comings and going segment we have, this one I had to mention because this guy was an absolute lightning rod on our site a couple of seasons back because Brazo went extremely hard after him. And, of course, we're talking about Chelsea's Callum Hudson-Odoi, who has just been wrapped up in a crazy numbers game with the attacking group at Chelsea – He's fallen into Thomas Tuchel's doghouse like who hasn't been there if you play for Chelsea uh it just seems that Hudson Odoi who many were touting as one of England's best young players just 2 years ago uh has really fallen off needs to get himself back together and is looking to re- or looking to move to Germany to make that happen specifically Bayer Leverkusen is considered the favorite to land Hudson Odoi and it could be alone it could be a loan with an option to buy. It could be a straight sale. There are a couple different scenarios being bandied about right now. But Hudson-Odoi is, is a very interesting case. And our own I Need Name was very much on board the Hudson-Odoi train. And, and at that time, it did look like he was going to be a player that was not only going to be a star for Chelsea, but also a star internationally with England. Things have completely fallen off the table since then. He is the, another example of a younger kid, just like Adrian Fine, who it peaked early. Of course, Hudson-Odoi was at a much grander level than Fine, but he peaked early, has not made those improvements in his game, and has subsequently fallen behind. And it does look as though Thomas Tuchel, who has a very distinct idea about he wa- what what he wants from attackers, what he wants them to do, what he expects to see, it just doesn't appear that Hudson-Odoi was going to be able to live up to those expectations and a move to Pire Leverkusen would be very interesting. Leverkusen, of course, has had an awful start to their season. So maybe hudson O'Doy could come in and inject some life into their lineup and hopefully get that squad up to where it needs to be because they are going to have a rough road, and not just in the Bundesliga, but in the Champions League as well if they cannot get it together because... Right now, they look like a complete and utter mess. So Callum Hudson-Odoi possibly to the Bundesliga. That would be some fun. I know I Need No Name would be very eager to see that. Just he would not be wearing the uh, Bayern Munich red that I think I Need No Name wanted back about two years ago. The third thing that we learned this week is a little bit of an expansion on some things that we'd previously heard. And that's that Bayern Munich's plan for Paul Vonner is really solidified, except it's a little bit different than what we had heard last, uh, was it either last week or two weeks ago. So Paul Vonner, as we all knew, came up as this attacking midfield presence, quick, fast feet, nose for the goal, great vision, attacking mindset. He had all of these great qualities when we first saw him last season. And he's still so young. So you would think a player like this, as he continues to develop, as he continues to evolve, his game would progressively take steps through Bayern Munich's club, through their youth system. But instead, Bonner became such a hot topic last year, he started to draw so much attention from other clubs that Bayern really did have to expedite what they were going to do with him. So now Bonner is a player who technically isn't the first team, but he's still eligible to play for the U19s and Bayern Munich too, which he has been doing to, to, just to get some game time. So the interesting thing that came out this week is we knew him as this 10 before and figured that he could be the next generation Thomas Muller. But then over the course of time and as things really evolved at the club, we started to see different opinions of Vonner. First, it was that he, the club saw him more as a number eight, someone that could play a little bit more of a central midfield role and less of an attacking role. Okay, great. You're always going to need someone like that, right? But as playing time in the central midfield looked at non-existent for Vonner, of course, Bayern has Joshua Kimmich, Leon Goretzka, who's currently injured, but Marcel Sabitzer, Ryan Gravenberg, there's a lot going on there. Vonner probably is not ready, especially physically to compete in the middle of the field at this point. So what we heard is that Vonner would be tested at left wing. Well, now all of a sudden Julian Nagelsmann is running the four triple two. It doesn't really require a wing Per se, and Vonner, it would seem you would figure that he would be a good fit in a 4222 because it's more free flowing. There's more flexibility with the positioning, and someone who's quick with an attacking mindset really would fit the mold of what Nagelsmann is looking for. I mean, you, you look at the people they have between Musiala, Sane, Mane, Serge Gnabry, Kingsley Coman. They're all very fleet of foot, all very creative. Thomas Muller, of course, is extremely creative, makes great runs. And maybe he's not as quick as some of the other people in that group, but uh, absolutely knows how to use his body on the field, position himself, time his runs to make up for what some people might think is a lack of quickness. I don't really think Muller's slow by any means. When you start to look at the track team that that Byron has assembled in front of him in terms of Mane, Sané, Gnabry, Musiala, yeah, sure, Muller's a little, maybe a, a step behind them. But Vonner seems to be the type of player who's right in that mix and being as 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 quick as those players. So you would figure that maybe he would fit into a system like a four-triple two pretty seamlessly. Well, then we heard that just to get him some playing time, Bayern might start looking to use him as a backup left back to Alfonso Davies, which carries a little bit of a different connotation than other left backs because Davies is also allowed to really be free flowing and get up the field and, and kind of shirk some defensive responsibilities at times. So that also seemed like it could probably work just because Vonner is not as physically strong as these grown men he'd be competing against. And that might be a good spot to put him in a position to where he wouldn't have as many physical duels because he'd be up the field more and more. So now what we're learning in the most recent report is that Byron is absolutely looking to use Vonner Moore. more. They want to use him with the U19s and, and Bayern Munich too uh, when they can, but first they want to really get his fitness up and they want, they expect that this will happen in September. And at that point, when he reaches full fitness, he's going to become a quote unquote serious alternative for the first team especially with the English weeks starting to come up. So Bonner will go from this player who's been competing with the U19s, competing with Bayern Munich too, to being someone who might be in the mix for a spot start, for a sub-appearance. The things that I think we all started to expect to see just because of how heralded he was and how quickly Bayern moved him and escalated him through the youth system there. So it seems like now after all of this, that this plan is developed and we're probably right back to where we started because while he might see some time on the wing or as a left back, it looks like Bayern Munich's final plan for vonner is to be Thomas Muller 2.0, which is kind of interesting because who knows what kind of system Julian Nagelsmann will deploy by the time Muller retires or by the time Vonner is ready to step his game up to become a starting level player uh but it's just interesting to see because i think a lot of people had assumed Musiala would be Jamal Musiala would be that player that would eventually tuck in and 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 be the new Thomas Mueller. but it appears that with the way things are shifting and and how everything is evolving that Bonner might be that player and maybe Musiala if if the system stays the same would be uh in staying his current role which is really alongside Mueller. so uh, either way, this should be a a, a good situation for Voners. I think he does need to start getting that experience and that exposure at the first team level in game time. I think it's excellent that he's working with the U19s. I think it's excellent that he's been able to play with Bayern Munich too. Like that, for those two things, I think it's excellent. He's got those options. But yes, now that we're starting to see some English weeks come up, it will be good to see him with the first team and how he'll be competing I do think this will be a, a good stepping stone season for him. I think he's really going to benefit from the everyday training environment. And I do think if, if Nagelsmann can find some ways to get him in the attacking mix in that four triple two, I think we'll start to see a lot of good things. My only caution with all of this is if you do start to use him as a left back, I worry if he's not that comfortable there, how that could affect his performances or his confidence. Now, it's kind of funny because i think when we look at the the outside back position particularly when it comes to youth sports uh i think that a lot of coaches tend to put people in that position who they might think are limited or they might think are like very defensive and maybe not offensive minded or they're looking for some kind of attacking presence on a team where maybe they have more attackers then they then they need, and this allows them to push someone into that role where they can get up the field, but they also have to run back. I don't know if vonner uh what his mentality will be in terms of playing that. I don't know if if he gets beat, if he gets pushed around or if or if he struggles deciding when he needs to push up versus when he needs to lay back, if that will affect him or make him hesitant, so there is some risk involved if the club does use him as a left back, but I think if there is a way to get him involved in that four triple two up at the top four positions in any of them, I think it would be very advantageous for him. And it would also give the fans a chance to see this kid in action. I want to see him getting the ball out in the open field, able to make moves, able to use his footwork, able to attack. Because I think when we saw Jamal Musial as a young player, you, you got the inkling the kid was pretty good. But then when you saw him play and you saw him get into that open space, that's when you knew that there was something special about him. So I want to see if we can get Vonner into those positions and see how he reacts to that and how his game changes if he's able to do that at the first team level. So there are a lot of possibilities uh, for where Vonner plays, when he plays, how much he plays. But it does seem now is that this plan has totally come full circle, that they know where they want him to end up They are just tinkering with how he gets there. And I'm sure they'll continue to tinker with it. So I'm just looking forward to seeing him in some game action. And I think a lot of you out there are too, because this is, hey, this is one of the most exciting young prospects, not just for Bayern, not just in Germany, but in the game. So this should be a lot of fun. Uh, The fourth thing that I learned this week was very intriguing, and it was that Hassan Brasso Salihamidzic was really open about the conversations that the club had with Erling Haaland and Cristiano Ronaldo. And we'll hit on Ronaldo first, because I think it was pretty obvious to not just Brazo, but the fans that while, you know, Bayern was in this, this transitional period where they were looking for someone to replace Robert Lewandowski before, of course, we saw what this end product would look like, um, that, that Ronaldo had some value to some people mostly because he he just can score and he's a big presence in the box. He's able to do a lot of things. And despite his age and despite, you know, his personality and a lot of bad things you probably could say about him, he still can play. So I think a lot of fans just assumed, well, it makes sense. He, if he wants to move to Germany and Byron has the room, maybe there's a way to make a deal, but Brazo, it seems, worked with his internal people, executives, coaching staff, and they determined very early on that while they do respect Ronaldo, that this was not going to work. So it was very interesting to hear him or see him address that because I had kind of wondered how this all happened and what their reactions were. And while he didn't let you all the way in, he gave you enough to know that it just wasn't going to happen, despite the fact that that there may have been a perceived need for someone like Ronaldo. As for Erling Holland, I thought it was very interesting because he was very Brazo was very candid about how the discussion went, and in fact, he said something to the effect of the timing wasn't right or just Holland had his ideas, and the club is, was not quite aligned with it but what intrigued me about that was that i th- I came away thinking that this was a good thing this meeting actually laid the foundation for maybe something down the road. And of course, like I've been petitioning for Bayern to get Holland, I think for two years now, I think when I first saw the kid at Salzburg, I, you, you saw this big physical fast kid who you knew was a dynamo and was going to be good. But then when you saw him doing it in the Bundesliga, you knew he was not just good, but extremely special. So I've been barking up this, you know, this tree for a long time. And for me, I was really hoping that the club would be able to get something done because I feel like with Holland, I think Bayern could have been a, a Champions League winning type club. Now, I'm not saying they can't be that right now. I think there's so many good things with the with this particular team that you can't count them out. And I do think they will be among the, the two or three favorites to win the Champions League. But it just remains to be seen how it all comes together over the course of the season. But with Holland, I think... I absolutely think they would have been uh, one of the, 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 maybe the favorite. So what what Brazo said was, we've had a few conversations. Of course, that's not a secret. We had things in mind that we could do. In the end, it didn't work out for various reasons. And I think we can read into that, meaning that Holland was going to get paid a whole hell of a lot more than what Bayern uh, wanted to pay him at this point. But I digress. Let's continue on with the quote. I don't want to blame the player for that. He chose what he thinks is better for him. So there was at least some alignment there in, in that Byron could be a good situation for Holland. And I think that Holland probably saw that, but what was good for Erling Holland right now was to make a whole hell of a lot of money from Man City. Again, let's, let's uh, continue on with the quote. So I think we made good decisions signing a striker. Of course, we'll see after a season or two, the guys we have here are exceptional. I think it's key because I've had this crackpot theory that after a couple of years, Holland is going to get out of that Man City deal and he's going to return to Germany and play for Bayern. Of course, this is a total pipe dream, tinfoil hat scenario, and everybody thinks I'm a clown for even remotely thinking that's possible. But I do think that it was positive that, that Brazo hosted Holland at his home, that they had this discussion and that both sides were pretty open about why it wasn't going to work right now. So I think that's all very encouraging because while I'm enjoying the season, I I always have this thing of being able to enjoy the present but always having one eye on the future. And if the future is two or three years down the road and that means Erling Haaland is with Bayern, then that's a a really good thing. So I'm going to to be following this for the next couple of years, but I thought it was very interesting that Brazo took the time and addressed it and let the fans in a little bit on what happened and to me, it was very positive. The fact that they couldn't come to an agreement was, wasn't was necessarily a bad thing. I mean, Bayern Munich, while well, a rich club, is not rich in the same stratosphere as Man City, let's be honest. So if Holland knew that this was the point in his career where he wanted to make money, where he wanted to go to the Premier League, get that exposure, that's all fine. He can become a superstar there, and I think he will. But in two or three years' time, if he decides that, hey, I had my fun in the Premier League, I proved myself, I made a whole heck of a lot of money, now I want to go win a Champions League every season, maybe he'll go back to Bayern. Now well, I should say that I do think Man City is the clear-cut favorite for the Champions League right now, and that once they figure out how to fully utilize Erling Holland and, and when he figures out how to fully play with the rest of the team, I think it's once that happens, it's over. I don't even think Pep can can mess that up. And I know Pep has had some major gaffes in, in big games over the last couple of years. But I, I don't think that even the, his most recent failures are going to come into play. I think if with the way that that team is structured but the talent that they have, adding Herli- Erling Holland to that mix was just a death knell for the majority of Europe. Uh, but it will be interesting to see how it plays out because as we have all seen, Pep doesn't always necessarily agree with using a solo striker or someone that's the one singular focal point of the offense, which is where I think Erling Haaland excels best. So I will have some fun watching that. The final thing that we learned this week is is also Premier League related in that Manchester City made a late run just a few days ago at Benjamin Pavard. Now, If you've been following the Pavar situation here, you know that large segments of the Bayern Munich fan base, including some of the BFW uh, community, they are anti-Pavar. And I have not fallen into that trap. I've been a fan of his work. I think he's been good. I think that, as I've said many times, I think his biggest issue is he rushes back from injuries. He's not ready, and it takes longer. It makes him look worse than he is when he comes back. Uh, And I think that's plagued him a little bit. I think he has been excellent this season. I think he's been one of the best defenders that I've personally seen this season so far. And I think he's setting himself up for a very nice campaign. I think that he knows exactly where he's at in his career, that he is already a wanted commodity. He is already in a situation where most people know that Bayern Munich has Matthias Delict at center back. They have Diopa makano They have Luca Hernandez. They have three very solid center backs. And that's where Pavar wants to be. For now, all Pavar is doing is holding off one of Bayern Munich's key acquisitions from the transfer window, Nassar Mizrali, from getting a starting spot. Yes, Pavar has been that good. And with the way that Mizrali has, I guess, been slow to adapt to life at Bayern. Uh, Pavar has taken advantage of the opportunity and I know he wants to play center back, but right now he's been a damn good right back. And he has been able to push up the field, get involved more offensively than we had ever seen him in the past. And he's been a good defender. So I'm not shocked that Manchester United came in and thought, well, Hey, we need defense. We're, we're kind of sucking right now. Sorry, Liverpool. Um, And and I think that, that looking at Pavar makes sense. He is seemingly attainable. He is versatile in that he can play center back and right back, and honestly, his price would be affordable for a club like Manchester United, and this is a case where I'm glad that Julian Nagelsmann and Brazo are fully aligned because they both, it seems, want to keep Pavar with Bayern Munich, and I think Nagelsmann really does value him, and I think he really does like him. We've seen several quotes in the past from Nagelsmann touting Pavar's versatility, touting his talent, and I think that... Nagelsmann knows exactly what he has in Pavar. He knows what he brings to the table and then even what he's capable of moving forward. And I think Nagelsmann sees a, a higher ceiling with Pavar maybe than a lot of fans do. And right now you can't argue with the results. So uh, while it was very intriguing that Manchester United came in and tried to swoop in late in this window and, and maybe they'll come back again with a bigger offer, I found it very intriguing that that Bayern Munich and Benjamin Pavard are really not looking at Manchester United's offer at this point. So uh, those were really, to me the biggest stories of the week and, you know, the Champions League draw, we've got Paul Vonner's roadmap for his career, we've got all these youngsters shifting around. And I didn't even get into Gabriel Vidovich and what his situation is. Of course, it looks like he's going to move as well. But there's so much to talk about. There's always stuff going on. So we always you have to check BFW. We're all, all over all of this. Somehow we're staying on top of it all, even if we are burning the midnight oil to do so. So definitely keep checking our site to stay up on top of all the latest and greatest Bayern Munich news. Uh, The other thing that, you know, I usually hit on at this point of the podcast is the entertainment rundown, right? So, you know, I, I did finish, we own the city. Excellent. Can't recommend it highly more highly than I have. It was really, really good. The subject matters would be tough for a lot of people to watch for, for a number of reasons, but it was really well done. John Bernthal is always as always is excellent. So check that out. I did watch Trainwreck, uh, Woodstock 99. What a mess that was. You just have to see that for yourself. I was a college grad in 99 and we had kind of kicked around maybe going to Woodstock 99 because what the hell else are you doing the summer after you graduate? So uh, for me, it was really dicking around in a job that I hated and <laughs> not really Uh, figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. So naturally that would have been a good place for me. I'm glad I didn't go because it did evolve from what probably seemed like a well-thought-out plan to utter chaos to Lord of the flies. It's one of my favorite books, but uh, it was insane. And there is, uh, you know, how they put this documentary documentary together on it was pretty creative and it just showed how clueless the organizers were and just how crazy at the time people were uh at, who were my age, really. I mean, I don't know how the hell anybody let their high school kids go to that thing. Cause I was in college and I mean, I had seen a lot of crazy things in college, right? Woodstock 99 was like Lord of the flies uh at an old air force base, really a self-contained Lord of the flies. I don't even know how to even describe it, but I've definitely checked that. It's, that documentary out. It's on Netflix. um, And and it's not a a big time crunch. It's only three episodes. Finally, against my own mm, best ideas, I did watch House of the Dragon. And as you can probably tell, I'm not really happy that I did that. So I have this love-hate relationship with Game of Thrones because I was on board, thought it was potentially the best series uh, that I had ever seen for quite a while. Better than The Wire, better than Breaking Bad. I had it atop my list. And the last couple of seasons, it just tanked for me. Pacing was bad. Storylines got really like jammed together and nonsensical. And I think the commitment from the showrunners and the commitments from HBO, I think it just all was lacking. They didn't know how to push this show over the finish line and give it the satisfying ending that everyone wanted out of it, that everyone really deserved out of it because the, the storyline itself led to could have led to so many different possibilities, so many great things. And what we got was not great. So I was very reluctant to even watch house of the dragon. Admittedly, I didn't watch it when it first came on. I think I got to it a little bit later that night. And what I found was again, pacing was an issue. I felt like in the first in the first episode, so many different family dynamics got jammed down my throat, and then they just all it happened so fast like i don't I don't even one minute a guy is his brother's biggest supporter, the next minute he's exiled and then what happens from here? So it just felt to me all of it was a little rushed. We had important characters dying. We had a whole lot of things going on. We had, I guess, what was supposed to be like deep insights into uh, the main character and how she felt. But it really didn't, to me, resonate with anything. I felt like everything was rushed. I felt like the look and feel of the show hit the mark. It, It did look and feel like a Game of Thrones show. But I I didn't see the great characters that we saw in Game of Thrones. Everyone was just shallow. There were no great characters with maybe the exception of the brother who his name is uh, really escaping me right now. I believe it was uh, Matt Smith's Damon Targaryen, who I thought was really the only fun and intriguing character that I saw in that episode. Uh, And he's obviously going to be one of the I guess quote unquote bad guys in the show, if if there is a good and bad in the in the world of Game of Thrones. But um I felt like he was the best character. I feel like the show probably should revolve around him. We'll see if it actually does. I don't I don't think it will. Uh, but I didn't come away thinking I need to watch the next episode. It's very similar to walking dead for me where I, I like hate watch the show now just to finish it off and i'm a little worried that that's what i'm gonna do with house of the dragon i i maybe it's the period of the game of thrones universe or a song of fire and ice universe that i'm seeing the about the only thing i liked other than the Damon targaryen character was the throwback to telling uh the story of why the targaryens moved over to westeros and and linking it all back to the dream of uh, the White Walkers and the end of mankind. So I did like that. That was good to me. And maybe I'm just a you know I was nostalgic about uh, the old days of Game of Thrones when it was actually good. Um, so I did like that. I did like the Damon Targaryen character, but I don't have high hopes moving forward. There was just too much happening too quickly, and I felt the depth of the stories the 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 personalities of the characters they weren't really drawn out it was just too crammed together which again we all felt that way for the last two seasons of Game of Thrones. So uh I will begrudgingly finish this season of House of Dragon probably House of the Dragon probably, but I don't have high hopes for it. So that's all I got for this week. I appreciate you tuning in. Check out all of our podcasts on the Bavarian Podcast Network uh we have a lot going on with it obviously this is going to be a very congested time because of the english weeks the draw so we you know of course we have our preview shows samarin did a two-for-one so you should check those out uh as she hit on this weekend's game versus borussia Munch and also the victoria colin the pokal the Bay pokal match we had I Need No Name and Schnitzel get together for the Champions League Draw Special Edition. Of course, we have this. We'll have a post-game show. Then we'll have our flagship show. So we're trying to cover everything without bombarding you. So stay up to date on all the Bayern news with BFW through our podcast, through our site. We appreciate every interaction we have with you. You can always get me at the Barrel Blog. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get Tom at Tommy Adam 71 And you can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN course we have a whole other host of podcasters who are doing a great job i'm not going to list them every episode so uh because there's just too many now as i say at this point every week so thanks again for listening i appreciate it have some beers on me this weekend enjoy that champions league draw i know you are and uh let's hope we get to see a couple of wins over the next few days in the bundesliga and the DFB pokal we will see you next time